1: Well, hello, I'm David Freeman-Wiff. Is that really in the Bible? Today, I'm going to teach you how to misunderstand your Bible. Yeah. I, I know that sounds strange for a religious program, but you need to understand this. I'm going to teach you how to misunderstand your Bible, and it's basically three things you got to do. Go to church, get some religion, and ask a preacher about the Bible. Now, let's take a subject here. Let's take uh, an example here the subject of dying. Now, if you had no religious background, you know exactly what it means to die. But if you get some religion, if you ask a preacher, you get some religion, you know, you, you go to church, you're going to end up being an ignorant buffoon when it comes to the sub- subject of death. Now, I don't know why it's so hard for us to understand. As a child, I understood death. I had was a Playing out as a little boy out in the yard and a little ant that had died. And I took that ant, and I put it in a matchbox. And I buried it. Maybe I had a ceremony. I don't know. Whatever. Maybe I said a prayer over it or something. But, but, you know, I understood the concept of death. Many of you are dog lovers. You love your animals. And I have four dogs and one cat. Um, my cat loves, I love my cat. My cat loves me. His name is Renegade. Sir renegade. But we understand death when our pets die. You know, it's like Rover. When Rover died, he was dead all over. But the subject of death, if you want to misunderstand it, if you want to have great confusion over this simplistic, one of the most simplistic, obvious reality and all its ugliness, if you want to misunderstand the subject of death, go to church Get you some religion. Ask a preacher about the Bible. Now, Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 5 says this. It says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Now, there's two things the scripture tells us. Number one, the living know what? Well, the living, that's us, you and me, we know we're going to die. That's an absolute. That's reality in all its ugliness. And number two, the dead don't know anything. Why is that? Because they're dead. Now, there's only one way not to understand this verse. There's only one way you can misunderstand this verse. The dead don't know anything. Go to church, get religion, ask a preacher about the Bible. Don't misunderstand me. I believe in life after death. It's just that when you die, you don't know anything. The reason is you're asleep. That's what your Bible says. The dead don't know anything. Let's notice this verse in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead, and there's a reason they call them dead, the dead in Christ shall rise first. These dead people that don't know anything are going to rise when Christ returns. It's the resurrection from the dead. Now, there's only one way you can misunderstand the Bible. And if you ask the preacher about the subject of death, he's going to t- tell you, Oh, no, you never really die. Your soul goes immediately to heaven and continues to observe everything. You continue to know everything. You continue to live only in a different place. Let's notice another example. John 3 and verse 13. These are the words of Jesus here. Will you believe Jesus? Most of you probably will not. And no man has ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Notice that. Jesus, your Savior, says no man has ascended to heaven. Not a few good men have. Not one or two Not God, like a heavenly grandfather, is surveying his kingdom of men in heaven. No man has ascended to heaven. Now, there's only one way you can misunderstand that verse. Go to church, get some religion, ask a preacher about the Bible. Ask a preacher about heaven. And he'll tell you, oh, uh, heaven, immediately upon death, you know, if you've been a good boy, you go to heaven to be with the Lord. That's what your preacher is going to tell you. Let's notice another example here. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16. Speaking of God, speaking of Christ, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Now, okay, what does this scripture tell us? It tells us that God only has immortality. That's what that you know. Now, if, if if you read a verse that says God only has immortality, what does that tell you about yourself? Well, it tells you you don't have it because God only, at this point, has immortality. Now, there's only one way you can misunderstand this verse: go to church, get some religion, ask a preacher about the soul. And he will tell you, oh no, not only does God have immortality, but every man who has ever been born comes into the world with an immortal soul. Now, my question is this, who are you going to believe? Your Bible says God only has immortality. Your Bible says no man is ascended to heaven. Your Bible says the dead don't know anything because they're dead. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe your Bible, or are you going to believe your preacher? You have to make that decision. You have to make that decision. 18 and verse 4. Behold, all sin, all souls, excuse me, are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. What does that tell you about the soul? Well, hey, hey, it tells you. Definitely, number one, it's not immortal because the soul that sins, it shall die. Now, there's only one way to misunderstand this verse. Go to church, get some religion, ask a preacher about the soul. And he will tell you, oh, no, the soul that sins, they don't die. They go to hell and burn for all of eternity. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe your Bible or are you going to believe your preacher? Romans 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now, there's only one way that you can misunderstand this verse. The wages of sin is death. Only one way you can misunderstand it. Go to church, get some religion, ask a preacher about the wages of sin. And he'll, he will tell you, well, no, the wages of sin is not death. It's living forever in a place called hell, where you burn and sizzle and pop and, and burn for all of eternity. Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? Matthew 5 and verse 17. Think, now this is the words of Jesus here, think not. That I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. Now, okay, Jesus tells you to think something. What are you going to think? There's only one way you can misunderstand the words of Jesus. Don't think that I have come to destroy the law. Only one way you can misunderstand that go to church, get some religion. Ask a preacher about the law of God, and the preacher will tell you, well, Jesus came to abolish the law, to to nail it to his cross, to do away with it, to fulfill the law of God. In fact, that verse where it says, think not that I've come to destroy the law, or the prophets I've not come to destroy but to fulfill, you know, most people take that word fulfill and they just say, oh, that means abolish. And so they read it like, think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to abolish. That's how most religious people read that. And yet Jesus said, don't think it, that I've come to destroy the law. Who, again, who are you going to believe? Luke 6 and verse 5. And he said unto them that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus said he's Lord of the Sabbath day, which is the fourth commandment. The Sabbath day. Now, there's only one way you can misunderstand the words of Jesus. Jesus said he's Lord of the Sabbath day. Go to church, get some religion, ask a preacher about the Sabbath day. And he will tell you, oh, the Sabbath, oh, that's Jewish. The Sabbath is Mosaic the, the Lord's day is the first work day of the week. We're no longer under the old covenant. We're under grace. And somehow grace negates the fourth commandment. I've never have figured that one out, by the way. How that grace somehow, you know, it doesn't negate any of the other ten commandments, but it negates the one commandment, the fourth commandment. You know? Now, I didn't say any of this stuff would make sense. I didn't say any of this stuff your preacher's telling you is going to make any sense. That's not the point. Matthew 19, verse 16. And behold, one came and said to him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now here is a million-dollar question. You need the answer to this question, do you not? I mean, here comes a rich young ruler to Jesus, and he says, What good thing must I do? What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus turned around and said, Oh, my dear son, who told you you had to do anything? And I, no, Jesus didn't say that. Let's continue on here. And he said unto him, Why do you call me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. Okay, there's only one way you can misunderstand the words of Jesus. Jesus. If you will enter into life, keep the commandments, and there's only one way you can misunderstand that: go to church, get some religion, ask a preacher about keeping the commandments about the ten commandments and he, and more and he's liable to tell you, "Oh my dear child, who told you you need to do anything? you don't have to obey God, that would be salvation by works, and we're under grace, and there is nothing you have to do." And you sure don't have to keep the commandments. Now, my question is, who are you going to believe? Your preacher or the Bible? You see, the problem is this. Religion has been infiltrated by the Greek mindset. And the Greek mindset explains everything and understands nothing. Let me give you an example of that by reading a segment of the Athanasian Creed It says this, listen closely. It says, Whosoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, which faith, except everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlasting. And the Catholic faith is this that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the person nor dividing the substance. All of this is making perfect sense, right? For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Spirit, but the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, and the majestic co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such as the Son is, such as the Holy Spirit. and The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Spirit incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also there, there is not three uncreated nor three incomprehensibles, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. So likewise, the Father is Almighty, the Son Almighty, the Holy Spirit Almighty, and yet there are not three Almighties, but one Almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. <clears throat> and yet there, uh, So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three lords, uh, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian variety to acknowledge every person by himself to be God and Lord, so we forbid by the Catholic religion to say there are three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created but begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and the Son, neither created nor uh, nor begotten, nor proceeding. Oh, there's a new word. So there is one father, not three fathers, one son, not three Son, one spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And in this Trinity, none is afore or after another. None is greater or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal, co-equal, so that in all things, as before as foresaid, the unity is Trinity and Trinity is unity, it is to be worshipped. He, therefore, that will be saved, must thus think of... The Trinity. This is the Catholic faith, which, except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. Quoting the Athanasian Creed. Unless you understand this, unless you get it, you can't be saved unless you believe in what I just read to you. Now, that was an explanation of God. Now, did you get it? Did you understand it? Again, the Greek mindset, that's a perfect example of the Greek mindset. They explain everything and understand nothing. Now, what I want you to think about is there's another mindset that you find in the Bible, in the Word of God. It's called the Hebrew mindset. And the Hebrew mindset basically says this. Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to think? How do you want me to behave? What do you want me to do today, right now? That's the Hebrew mindset. Now, I believe churches have been infiltrated by the Greek mindset. Uh, Philosophy, uh, debate, uh, dissertation, in-depth, you know, dissertation, in-depth explaining. Explaining everything about God, the nature of God, faith, and, and just explaining, 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 and yet really understanding nothing. And more importantly, not doing anything. In other words, the religion is all in your mind. It's just all up here. But the rubber ne- never meets the road. The rubber never meets the road. It's a religion. It's a philosophy. Now, listen. If you take this Hebrew mindset and you take your Bible and, you, and for one year you ask the questions. three questions. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to think? And how do you want me to behave? I'm telling you, if you would do that for one year, you would know more about the Bible. You would know more about what a true relationship with God is all about. You would know more about the will of God than people who have been sitting in church for 40 years. Being brainwashed by religious philosophy. That's what you have today. Brainwashed. By religion, explaining everything away. You know, a lot of religion is just explaining away everything. Explaining away why we don't have to do what the Bible says. Explaining away the, the will of God. Explaining the way, away the Ten Commandments. Explaining away every, morality. Explaining away that. You know, why well, we don't really need to do that. We can ordain homosexual priests, you know, whatever. A lot of religion is just a vain philosophy about that explains away everything. Explain it away. Now look at Colossians two and verse eight. Colossians two and verse eight. says, "Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ." This vain philosophy is being taught a lot in churches today. You know, and again, I come back to this simplicity of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. Jesus did not teach a bunch of vain, all-in-your-mind philosophy where the rubber never met the road. I mean, here comes the rich young ruler to Jesus and said, What, you know, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus says the rubber has got to meet the road. If you enter into life, keep the commandments. That's not difficult to understand, is it? That's not hard to understand, but we would rather hear vain philosophy. We would rather sit in our churches, our glass cathedrals, and have some preacher get up there and explain away why why there's nothing you must do. Just believe, just give your heart to the Lord, just accept Jesus into your heart. And again, as I said, there are many churches that would tell you today, oh, my dear child, there's nothing. You don't have to obey God. That would be salvation by works. We're under grace, and there's nothing you have to do. Brainwashed by religious philosophy. <clears throat> so, you know, I began this program by saying, I'm going to teach you how to misunderstand the Bible. And what I said was, go to church, get religion, Ask a preacher about the Bible. And now I'm going to tell you how to begin a real relationship with God. And a real relationship with God starts with you've got to adopt the Hebrew mindset. And what I would suggest is take your Bible and study it for one hour a day for one year. And ask the question, three questions, Lord, What do you want me to do? What do you want me to think? How do you want me to behave? And I can almost guarantee you that if if you did that, I'm not even talking about going to church. I'm talking about it starts right here with a relationship with God. Where you've got to realize, yeah, there is something that God wants you to do. There's a way God wants you to think. There's a way God wants you to behave. And there is something God wants you to do. And how we have lost this in mainstream Christianity. How we can flock to the churches and fill an auditorium of 10,000 people every Sunday morning and just sit there and basically be entertained, feel good about ourselves, be assured that we're heaven bound and we're going to retire with Jesus. You know, Uh, there's a cabin in the sky, so be careful when you step out the door. Christian retirement, whatever. How we can just go through the motion and go through the motion and go through the motion and never come to this point after 40 years in church, 40 years of church going and never come to the point, never adopt the Hebrew mindset to be filled with Greek philosophy of, of just explaining away everything and, and thinking about God and talking about God, about God and never come to the point where we say, Lord, what do you want me to do? More importantly, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to think? How do you want me to behave what kind of actions do you want from me? How should I live my life today? As I drive down the road, as I look at this billboard sign that may be tempting or whatever. How do you want me to think? How should I treat my neighbor? You know, and more importantly, you know what do you what do you have for me to do? What activity? You know what? Can Lord, can you show me that thing? that if I get involved in, it will make me come alive. What do you want me to do, Lord? Just waste my whole life away? You know, if you don't know who and what is God, if you don't know why you're here, if you don't know what's the purpose of living, why did God even place you on planet Earth to begin with, if you can't answer any of those questions, can you really call yourself an educated person? If you're just existing, you're just here and you're going through the motions every day and you're going through the same little routine and same job and same everything. You know, no one ever said on their deathbed they wish they'd spent more time at work. Does your work have meaning? Is there any purpose to your work? Or are you just going through the motion? There's a song by, you know, entitled Slip Sliding Away and most people are just you know that's what they're doing They're just you know the nearer your destination the more you're slip sliding away and you know it just we're just going through the motion and there is no meaning there's no purpose and more importantly there is not a real connectivity with god and we have substituted church going for a relationship with god and we think church going Oh, I showed up to church today. I was encouraged. I was inspired. It's like a pep rally that you go to where you're, you're made to feel good about yourself. And we call that a relationship with God? We call that a, a relationship with our Creator going to church? Now, I'm not knocking going to church. I'm just saying there's a lot more to a relationship with God affects everything about you. It, it it is you become one in that relationship. I mean it's 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 everything that you are. It motivates everything that you do, that relationship with God. <clears throat> now, I'm convinced that if we would do this, if we would do this, if we if we would take the challenge that I'm offering to you, you know, maybe call up your church and say, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a, a year-long sabbatical. Sorry, I'm not going to see you for a year, but I'll be back. You know, I'll be back. But to take this challenge and to take your Bible and for just one hour a day, if that's all you can afford, okay, just one hour a day, study it for one year and ask the question. The three questions are, what do you want? Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to think? And how do you want me to behave today? Every day is a new beginning, fresh every day. And every day you do the same thing. One hour and you ask those, one hour with your Bible and you ask those three questions. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to think? How do you want me to behave? And I'm convinced you will go so far beyond most religious people's Christianity, churchianity, church-going activity, you will discover, if you do this, if you take this challenge, you will discover what it means not just to be religious. You know, I wouldn't give you a nickel for all the religion in the world. I mean, it's, it has no value to it. You will just, If you do this, you will discover what it means not just to be religious, not just to be another church-goer, not just to claim the name Christian. But you will discover what a real relationship with your creator is really like. And that's what's really in your Bible.
0: Is it possible to change the man or the woman in the mirror? And if so, how? Are we simply victims of our past behaviors with no way out of our sins and addictions? Jesus told a woman to go and sin no more. This is real change, no longer a slave to sin. But how is this possible? You were created incomplete, lacking the necessary drive and desire that would cause you to do the right thing. The bottom line is this. You need a second spirit. Man's real problems are spiritual in nature and the natural man simply cannot solve spiritual problems. How can we know what is right? And how can we have the desire and power to choose what is right? Real change is possible, and the ability to please God is possible. But it is only possible by receiving God's spiritual DNA. Order your free booklet entitled, How You Can Change and Please God. Order by writing to... Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, check us out on the web at Is That Really in the